Hi, I'm Thomas. Welcome to the Parachute Advice Podcast. My life has taken a lot of twists and turns, and on this podcast, I will dive into those experiences. The goal is to help everyone listening learn from my experiences and hopefully avoid some of the mistakes I've made. Hi, welcome to today's episode of the Parachute Advice Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas. Today, I want to discuss motivation and in the same light, procrastination and the ways I worked through both of these on my journey. As I'm sure many of you can imagine, motivation was absolutely the key to everything I accomplished. The most important point, I think, is that motivation to make such a major lifestyle change has to come from an internal place. There are plenty of tips, tricks, and tools to use for motivation, but in the end, they are all driven by your inner self. Whether it is out of commitment, embarrassment, disappointment, fear, or benefit, they are all driven by your internal voice telling you to accomplish an outcome. There are two major overarching motivation types, intrinsic motivation, which is a type of motivation where the driver of your motivation comes from within. This is very much what I use to lose all the weight. Then there's extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation, on the other hand, is a type of motivation in which an individual is motivated by external drivers or rewards of some sort. While not my driver for weight loss directly, it was there from the aspect of looking better and being able to enjoy the world more. This could also be when someone loses weight to impress others. By doing this podcast, I'm leveraging extrinsic motivation by making my journey public. It hopefully will help me stay the course on my weight loss. Next is some subsets of motivation. According to an article in Lifehack, there are seven minor motivation types, which include reward-based, fear-based, achievement-based, power-based, affiliation-based, competency-based, and attitude-based. Reward-based is pretty self-explanatory. When you accomplish the task or outcome, you get rewarded. For example, some of the popular diet apps that offer cash for when you hit your target or the annual office Biggest Loser contest. My whole department at work is still glad I didn't join their Biggest Loser contest when I started this weight loss journey, since I would have smoked all of them. I avoided this motivation type because I needed to know I was doing it strictly for myself and not a reward or an exchange of anything. I felt that by doing this, it would put the odds in my favor and I would have the long-term success I wanted because I was doing it in my eyes for the right reason. This is not to downplay or speak negatively of anyone who is motivated by a reward-based system. Just be sure you also have the drive to be successful after the contest is over and the reward is paid out. Next, fear-based is just that. It's fear of a negative outcome. Great example of this is the entire campaign around quitting smoking. The idea that your failure to stop smoking would lead to cancer or worse, death, was the fear motivation to quit for many Americans. Achievement motivation is very similar to reward-based, but you, in this case, are trying to obtain a title or recognition versus a physical reward. At times, this is the top reason I push so hard when I'm working out and doing my exercise routine. I'm pushing for recognition through things like longest streak or most days in a row. Often, the accomplishment you are motivating yourself for is in its own right the reward for going through with the task. Now let's talk about power-based motivation. It's very similar to achievement-based motivation, except the power that comes from the recognition or achievement is the motivator versus the achievement itself. For example, the driver to build your reputation or gain a better title at work, which comes with power, such as becoming a manager or director within your company. Examples can also be people who seek to move up in other organizations, whether it's a volunteer organization or a club outside of work. Maybe it's trying to better the world through a charity or someone who runs for political office. Now there's affiliation-based motivation. This is where the driver 
is being part of a group where you get recognition for what you do or the group you are part of. Often, it's by being viewed as part of a group with a higher status. People want to be affiliated and get to mingle with or associate with people who have a higher status than them. You can see this often in clubs or professional organizations involving expertise or networking. Next is competency motivation. This is driven by the idea of continuing to improve one's knowledge. I would say this is my biggest driver in doing this podcast. I'm driven every day to gain more and more knowledge on how to do it with the goal of becoming better and more knowledgeable over time at being a podcaster. I hope it shows in each episode I've put out, fingers crossed. Now let's talk about attitude motivation. Those with a desire to change the way that they see the world around them and the way that they see themselves are driven by attitude motivation. For me, it's come in the form of reading more and learning and developing a better understanding of the world around me. It's one of the reasons I've become so interested in stoicism and a lot of reading. My goal by doing this is to become more self-aware and in turn develop personally. As you can see, listening to all of these types of motivation, there is a lot of options and ways to motivate oneself. Something important to motivation is making sure you have clear goals and deadlines and that these are measurable. They should be stretches as well to push yourself to a bigger and better outcome while at some time avoiding complete failure. Let's take retirement planning. As we mentioned, you probably want to save at least $2 million for retirement. But you can't hit that without first first hitting a million dollars. And you can't hit a million dollars without hitting $500,000. See what I'm saying there? You can have the ultimate goal of $2 million. But if you were 22 and just graduated college, maybe it's as small as I'm going to save five dollars or $10,000 this year into my 401k. Then when you hit 30, maybe your goal is $50,000 in your 401k. If you're just starting out on your personal finance journey, it could be as small as first, I want to build my emergency fund. For me... And the weight loss journey, when I started at 360 pounds, I set a 12-month goal of losing 70 pounds to get back to the weight I was when I was 18 years old. When I got close to that goal that I had set, I set a new goal of 260 pounds or to lose 100 pounds. Then it was 140 pounds. Then it was trying to lose 50% of my weight or 180 pounds. And when I was almost there, I ultimately made it my goal to lose 187 pounds so that I could say I had lost 200 pounds from my heaviest. So how does one structure or create goals? If you have ever worked at a company that does yearly performance reviews, you have likely heard the idea of SMART goals and SMART goal writing. What does SMART stand for? Specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Okay, let's define and explain each of these now. Specific, the goal should be simple, sensible, and significant. It should answer the top W questions like what, why, who, where, and which. In my case, it was the initial goal of losing 70 pounds over 12 months. It was a simple target with a logical timeline and outcome, but it was going to have a major impact on my health. Most experts say just a 5-10% to weight loss reduction can have a significant positive outcome on health, and this was going to be a 20% reduction, so I should have a great impact on my health. On top of that, it is said losing 1-2 to pounds a week when defined as morbidly obese is a good target, and this would have been 1.3 pounds a week for me. All right, now measurable. The goal should be meaningful and motivating. This is easy. It should be a metric like weight loss, waist measurement, or body fat percentage. And it has to be measurable and trackable. Not vague like feeling better or eating less. Unless using a very specific calorie tracking metric, And even then, I would say it's probably not the best approach to just look at calories for a weight loss goal. 
If your goal is to alter your body through weight loss, the item you measure should be directly related to that. Next, achievable. This is simple. The goal should be attainable. I'll go back to myself for an example here. While I ultimately did lose over 50% of my weight, no one in their right mind would have said that that was a good starting point because the likelihood of it being attainable was so low. I'm not trying to demotivate anyone who wants to lose a significant amount of weight, but start with a realistic goal. 50% ultimately was great, but that was a very big stretch for me. Next is relevant. This goal needs to be reasonable, realistic, resourced, and results-based. Ask yourself the question, does the goal seem worthwhile? And is it the right time? We're focused on weight loss, so I think it is easy to say it is likely worthwhile. But the timing question is vital when it comes to weight loss. Starting can have a big impact on your lifestyle. For example, I would not recommend starting a new diet plan right before Thanksgiving, Christmas, or big vacation. Next is time bound. This portion of the goal should be based on time. Time limited, time and cost limited, timely or time sensitive. I think this one is a little less important for weight loss, but not 100% ignorable. For example, if you want, you could choose to lose a pound a week or a half a pound a week. And then that would be used to figure out the time frame that you need to place your goal over. I would not be too strict on yourself here. For example, if you shoot for losing 50 pounds over 50 weeks, maybe set your goal like this. I will be down 50 pounds in the next year. That gives you an extra two weeks to hit your goal, or even add a bit more, like 13 months to lose 50 pounds. You want a goal and something to hold yourself accountable to. I'm a firm believer in the idea that two grand a goal and you're virtually guaranteed failure, or at the very least, feeling like you failed. Both feeling like you failed and actually failing can be very derailing. What's the difference? Well, obviously, if your goal was to lose 200 pounds and you only lost 180 pounds, I don't think a person out there would view you as a failure. I know I wouldn't. Hell, if you lost 50 or 100 pounds instead of 200 pounds, you've won. You've accomplished something so many have not, but you can certainly feel disheartened over missing the 200-pound weight loss goal. Worse yet, that feeling could derail your maintenance phase. It's no different than when you have a day, weekend, or week off plan and then just say, well, I guess I failed, so screw it, back to my old ways of eating. You never failed, but you held yourself to such a strict mindset you feel as if you did. As the great Stoic Marcus Aurelius said in his book, Meditations, we have the power to hold no opinion about a thing and to not let it upset our state of mind for things have no natural power to shape our judgment. What if you had no idea that you had been off plan? All you knew is that was another day. And now today you go back to your diet without any thought or opinion as to what happened the day before. To be clear, I'm not saying to just ignore it or let yourself regularly go crazy eating. But if it happens, it happens. Or if you miss your goal by some amount, but have made great strides, then have no opinion on success or failure. Simply state, I did X and Y, and this was the outcome. And next, I will do this new task to either further my success or move to a new defined goal. So now that we've covered smart goals and the idea of mindset and accountability, let's do a simple exercise or example on how you might define your goal. Let's take 2023. Let's say this. I plan to lose 40 pounds over the course of the year by reducing my calories by 500 each day or on average 350 a week, each week. Now you have a clearly defined goal with measurable actions, time bounds, and things we can check in on weekly, our weight and calories to keep our plan on track. 
I know this sounds very simplistic, but it really is that easy. There you go. You have a diet plan. It was that simple. Now you can break this down to easier pieces. Like my daily calories need to be an average of 1800. So now I need to figure out what foods I can eat to satisfy me that equals this. You might go the next step to make things easier and say, I need to have 300 calories for breakfast, 400 for lunch, 650 for dinner, and spread out 400 in calories for snacks over the course of the day. Now we have an easy to follow smart goals for writing our own meal plans. As you can see, this is exactly how I developed and wrote my plan to lose all the weight I did. The same method is how every diet coach that understands calories in and calories out is writing diet plans. The only thing that matters specific to each person is the number. How much weight do you want to lose and how much do you need to cut calories to hit that number over a defined time frame? Okay, enough of the strict to the book goal writing. Let's get into more of the abstract methods. First, let's talk about concepts like gamifying things in your routine like exercise. What do I mean by this? It's the process of taking your workout routine and adding in elements that motivate, improve, or intensify the workout. It could be trying to close all the rings on your Apple Watch every day or hitting your zone minutes on your Fitbit. Mine personally has been the zone minutes and the badges and challenges on Peloton. For example, this past January, I decided to do their every day in January challenge and I tied it into hitting the longest daily streak badge you can get on the Peloton app, 60 days straight. This concept of gamifying workouts, Spin has had this since the beginning with how they celebrate milestones like your 100th ride and so on. Sticking with Spin, there are also apps like Zwift, which uses the data from your bike to have you compete in races. For running, there are apps like Battlesuit, Runner Fitness, or Zombies Run. Another common method that has gone on for years is the office pool for weight loss. It's like biggest loser contest for your office, as we mentioned earlier. Virtually every office I've ever worked at has had a pool like that of some sort. Now, there are even apps for that, like Pact, Diet Bat, or Healthy Wage. Things like this tie into the idea of getting a partner to help you with your motivation. I often use this method in one way or another when working on things. How, you ask? Well, take this podcast. I didn't necessarily get a partner per se, but I talked with several trusted friends and bounced the idea around and talked about it as if I was trying to motivate myself. I got feedback and it helped me motivate me to keep moving forward at each step I hit a motivational block. I personally find this method helpful in a few ways. It lets you play things out and get them on the table. Plus, I find it motivating, especially when you get to the tipping point of having talked about it so much that those select friends you trusted to talk to either ask for status updates or push to know when you're actually going to be done with the project. Honestly, this is how things played out with the podcast. When I finally rolled it out, they were shocked because I had talked about it so much but didn't seem to be making any public progress. To that point, some things should be kept private. I hate to tell you this, but not everyone likes seeing others succeed. For example, I didn't tell a person about my weight loss plan. I had to do that on my own. My motivation was purely internal. I felt it had to be that way to succeed in the long term. Then COVID hit and we went into a hardcore lockdown and I didn't see friends for months. And then one day I just showed up 60 pounds smaller. This process is a solid example of using success to motivate too. Once I saw the weight falling off, it motivated me to keep going. And then when everyone saw me and gave me compliments, I wanted the success to continue even further and that kept motivating me. Ultimately, I think motivation has to come from within yourself for such a major lifestyle change like losing 200 pounds. I don't see a way to do this long-term successfully if it's not intrinsic motivation that pushes you. External motivation can be great to potentially kick things off, but if it's not yourself that's driving things in the long-term, there's always risk of failure. 
Again, I'm going to go back to the great Stoic and leader Marcus Aurelius, who put it this way. You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. It wasn't until I found the internal strength over my mind that I could be successful. As I've mentioned a few times now, I tried to lose weight other times. Once after my doctor basically said I was likely to die early from how bad my health was. And I did lose weight. I dropped 40 pounds in four months. And then after a weekend of partying, gave up and fell back into my old lifestyle to ultimately gain most of it back. Why? Because the primary motivation that time didn't come from me wanting this change. It came from an external fear put in my head. External fears and motivations are too easy to dismiss in the long term. When you focus on your internal voice and that motivation, it becomes a lot harder to disregard. I was just having a discussion the other day with someone about how pissed I was. I just wanted to go home after a long day at work and order a huge pizza and just destroy it. I looked at the person I was talking to and said, God, I want to order a pizza so bad. It was that moment I realized I can if I want to. I'm a hardworking 43-year-old who makes good money. Nothing, literally not a thing was stopping me from ordering that pizza. But I talked like there was a gun to my head stopping me. Except there was one thing stopping me. In my view, the most powerful thing for long-term success. My intrinsic motivation to stick to my maintenance plan and keep the goal of long-term health and my weight in check. Think about this. This is how powerful intrinsic motivation can be. Had the only reason I wasn't eating pizza been my doctor saying it wasn't healthy or some app saying I couldn't eat that, it would have been far easier to make that choice and just order the pizza. The motivating factor, in essence, wouldn't be in the room. And it would be okay to make that excuse. Hell, all I have to do is not mention it to my doctor or friend or whatever person I felt was the reason I couldn't have the pizza and then just eat it. But when it's intrinsic motivation, you have to sit there and tell yourself that you and your mindset is full of shit. And that can be a hard pill to swallow. Like I said from the beginning, I had just one rule through this whole process. Own my choices and be accountable for them. As written in an article on Lifehack titled, Why Intrinsic Motivation is So Powerful and How to Find It, it states, One reason is that when we are internally driven to do something, we do it simply for the enjoyment of the activity. So we keep going, day in and day out, because we feel inspired, driven, happy, and satisfied with ourselves. That article goes on to list six ways to increase intrinsic motivation. I'll cover three of them. The three I think hit home for me the most and were keys to my success. First off, self-efficacy. The theory of self-efficacy was developed by the American-Canadian psychologist Albert Bandura in 1982. Efficacy is our own belief in whether we can achieve the goals we set for ourselves. In other words, it's whether we think we got what it takes to be successful at what we do. This was at my core belief that anyone can do anything they put their mind to and be successful to some level at it. The next one is link your actions to a greater purpose. Finding your why in life is incredibly important. This means that you need to be clear with yourself on why you do what you do and what drives you. Don't wait until you feel like it to do something. A great piece in the Harvard Business Review points out that when we say things as, I can't make myself go to the gym, or I can't get up early, what we are actually mean is that we don't feel like it. There's nothing that is physically preventing us from doing these things, apart from our laziness. But here's the thing. You don't have to feel like it in order to take action. Sometimes it so happens that you may not want to do something in the beginning, but once you start, you get into the flow and you find your intrinsic motivation. I still don't always love working out after work or first thing on a Saturday morning, 
but I now see the big picture of the health benefits. I also remember each day after working out how accomplished I feel, and that keeps me on track in the back of my head to begrudgingly start my workout each day when I don't want to. Next is to tap into a deeper reason. An example is a third kind of motivation that was discovered in a study of workers in a Mexican factory had no potential for professional growth or development, which scientists called family motivation. Workers who were being studied agreed more with statements such as, I care about supporting my family, or it is important for me to be doing good for my family, were more energized and performed better, although they didn't have any additional external or internal incentives to do so. The great thing about this kind of driver is that it's independent of the company one works for or the situation. It taps into something even deeper. If you don't want to do something for your own sake, then do it for the people you care for. And this can be a powerful motivator, as many can probably attest to this. Being there long-term for your family can make health as big a goal as ever. Maybe it's saying something like, I plan to make it to my child's high school graduation. Or as a father, I will make sure I'm alive to walk my daughter down the aisle. As a result, I need to change my weight and diet to accomplish this. When it comes to smaller, less life-changing items like going on the vacation I keep avoiding because I am cheap, or when I was starting this podcast... I use the idea of the sunken cost fallacy to motivate me to do it. As defined by the Oxford Dictionary, this is the phenomenon whereby a person is reluctant to abandon a strategy or course of action because they have invested heavily in it, even when it's clear that the abandonment would be more beneficial. So how do I use this complex economic theory for motivation? Well, first, let's look at that motorcycle trip that I had mentioned in an earlier episode from a year ago that I was so nervous about going on. I bought supplies for the trip, and I booked my rooms. As the date got closer, I pushed through to the point where to not go on the trip would have meant wasting hundreds of dollars on hotel rooms that I couldn't cancel, and supplies like parts for my bike that were installed and not returnable. From a purely economic viewpoint, it's called the sunken cost fallacy because to continue down the wrong path simply because you have already spent the money or time is not the right approach. But when it comes to motivation for me, it works great. While losing a few hundred dollars if it avoids additional expense above and beyond is always the right call. For me, the idea of wasting money is such a huge motivation it often pushes me over the edge to do something I've been avoiding. I know my concerns over the trip were dumb, but that wasn't enough to motivate me. But when you combine the internal knowledge my fears were dumb and the idea of giving into them costing me hundreds of dollars in wasted money, I got very motivated to go on that trip. Second, let's see how I leverage this concept with the podcast. First, I spent about $100 on equipment. Then I spent countless hours learning software and experimenting, ultimately producing the episode zero trailer, which I shared with a few people for feedback. Not surprising, it was terrible, and I had to redo it three more times to get it to where it is now. Then I started writing and recording episodes. Then I spent hours editing and doing final audio cleanup and writing transcripts for the first 15 episodes. At that point, I still could have walked away, But deep down, how could I? In my mind, I invested six months of my life on that project. So as the sunken cost fallacy goes, I had no choice but to push on. And here we sit with a fully up and running podcast with over 20 episodes and plans for many more to come. Listen, at the end of the day, motivation is hard. That's why we need it in our lives in many forms. It's there to push us to be great. I'll leave you today with one last quote from the great stoic Epictetus. If you want to improve, be content to be thought foolish and stupid. Thank you for listening. Please join me again for future episodes. 
you can contact me at parachuteadvicepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, parachuteadvicepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at parachuteadvice. Again, thank you for listening, and please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.